Good morning. Thank you, Tara and Sam and Richard, for your service. Again, I asked them to do those videos. And, uh, they were reluctant. They are always... Uh, everyone so far has been shy. They don't want to make it about them, but uh, I get to make it about them. And I'm very grateful for their service, and we have all been, um, we've all received the benefits of their service for so many years. So thank you to them. Let's give them one more round of applause. If you have your Bibles, go ahead and turn in them to Matthew chapter 25. And we're going to be reading from verses 14 to 30. This passage that we're going to be studying this morning is going to focus on talents. We are continuing our study on stewardship. And we want to remind you, I want to remind you again of what a steward is. A steward is someone who has been given the responsibility to care for the property of another. They have been given the responsibility to care for the property of another. A woman once approached Dwight Moody. He was a great evangelist and probably one of the greatest of, uh, Amer- in American history. And she once approached him and she said, after one of his evangelist sermons, evangelistic sermons, she said, Mr. Moody... I want to tell you something. That, by the way, pastors or speakers, that's the worst thing you want to hear after you've just preached. I want to tell you something. She said, I don't like the way you do evangelism. And he responded to her by asking her a question. He said, well, tell me, ma'am, how do you do evangelism? And she responded by saying, well, I don't. He said, well, then I like the way I'm doing evangelism better than the way you are not. Critics risk very little in criticizing and give none of themselves. One of my favorite movies is Ratatouille, if for only the last part of the movie where the critic gives probably one of the most beautiful, beautiful descriptions of a critic I've ever heard. I love this. He says the the name of the character is Anton Ego. I love that name. He says, in many ways, the work of a critic is easy. We risk very little, yet enjoy a position over those who offer up their work and their selves to our judgment. We thrive on negative criticism, which is fun to write and to read, but the bitter truth we critics must face is that in the grand scheme of things, the average piece of junk is probably more meaningful than our criticism designating it so. In other words, it is better to do something than doing nothing. And criticizing those who are doing something must never be the attitude and action of a person of God. Christians, unfortunately, this is not always true of you and I. In fact, I have had to, even in recent days, repent of a critical spirit, seeing that it was incredibly unproductive for God. 
Service to the Lord, though, for those of you who are serving, know that it is often a thankless endeavor. But that does not mean that it is without its rewards. The rewards of serving the Lord are there if one is willing to align their understanding of what really counts in life with what God says really counts in life. We are not to serve unto men that we might receive our rewards here on earth, but we are to serve others for the glory of God that our heavenly Father sees what we do in secret and will reward us in heaven. It is the greatest act of faith that we truly believe what the gospel of Jesus Christ says, that we truly believe that there will be a day in which we will spend the rest of our eternity with God serving him by giving of ourselves in this life. Paul said in Romans 12, 11, do not be slothful in zeal. In other words, it begins with an attitude. If we want to be good stewards, we have to begin with the right attitude. Someone who is slothful in zeal is apathetic about the things of God. Apathetic means they have no care or concern for God. Paul says, do not be slothful in zeal, but be fervent in spirit. Serve the Lord. In Colossians, he writes... Whatever you do, work heartily as for the Lord and not for men, knowing that from the Lord you will receive the inheritance as your reward. You are serving the Lord Christ. It is less about how you are serving and more about why you are serving. That's not to say that the how you serve is not important, but that you are serving for the glory of God is most important. God will judge our hearts. He sees our hearts. What we might conceal before men is laid bare before God, and He knows our motives. God gives talents and resources to his people, both great and small, to be used in furthering his kingdom on earth. He does not expect all of us to produce the same thing, nor does he expect all of us to produce the same quantity. But he expects eyes to be eyes, ears to hear, mouths to speak, Feet to go where he wants us to go. Hands to produce what he wants us to produce. As we just sang, take my hands, take my feet. It begins with a heart that says, God, I'm going to give you all of me. I'm just going to begin by giving you me. You gave you to me. Now I want to give the rest of my life to you. Begin with that attitude. That's what we're driving for this morning. This morning, I want to talk about how we can use our talents and resources to further God's kingdom. Let's look at the Word this morning. In Matthew 25, verses 14 through 30, it's a series of parables 
And this is one of four parables that is trying to convey the imminence of Christ's return. We know that Christ ascended unto heaven after he raised from the dead. Scripture tells us that he didn't remain here on earth, but that he ascended unto heaven and that he sent his Holy Spirit to the earth to empower his church for the kingdom of God. But he also told us that he would return again. So where we find ourselves today is living in a time between the times, the time of Christ's going and the return of Christ sometime in the future. So many people preoccupy themselves with when that's going to be. Let me tell you, that is a futile endeavor. You will not be able to crack the code. There is no code in Scripture that tells you when Christ is going to return. In fact, when Jesus ascended unto the Father in Acts chapter 1, verse 7, and the disciples asked him, Lord, is it now that you will restore the kingdom of Israel? He responds by saying, it is not for you to know the time and the seasons of his return. But the very next verse is, go into the world, be my witnesses. In other words, what are you doing now to glorify God and to work for the kingdom? That is the concern of the Christian today. The concern, the prerogative, the direction, the vision is how will I take my life and glorify it for God while I wait for Christ's return? And so in these passages, he goes through parables to teach us that Jesus is certainly coming and that what we are to be doing now is serving him. In 2445, he says this, Who then is the faithful and wise servant whom his master has set over his household to give them their food at the proper time? Blessed is that servant whom his master will find so doing when he comes. Truly I say to you, he will set him over all his possessions. But if that wicked servant says to himself, my master is delayed and begins to beat his fellow servants and eats and drinks with drunkards, the master of the servant will come on a day when he does not expect him and at an hour he does not know and will cut him in pieces and put him with the hypocrites. In that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. I think of those, the, the standard 80s movie that goes like this. Mom comes to her teenage daughter, usually Christina Applegate, and says, I'm going on a journey or I'm going out of town. I want you to take care of the house. I'm going to bring a babysitter. Don't tell mom that the babysitter's dead. Uh, the babysitter dies and now the kids have to take care of the house and they leave it in a mess because mom and dad are not there only for the mom to return early and see that the house is in a mess. That's what Jesus is saying. Sometimes believers live with that mentality. They live as if today's not the day that Jesus is going to return, so it doesn't really matter how I live today. And Christ is saying that must never be your mindset. I will return when you least expect it. Let's look at our passage. 
For it will be like a man going on a journey who called his servants and entrusted them to his property. It there is the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God will be like, according to Jesus, a rich man who has a lot of property, who leaves his property to servants. The word there is the word doulos, and it can mean either slave or servant. And the kingdom of God is a rich man goes on a journey, he goes away, but he leaves his people with much of his property. To one he gave five talents, to another two to another one, to each according to another one, that is one talent, and to each according to his ability. A, a talent is not what we think a talent is here. A talent means a unit of measurement. In, in those days, we don't know exactly how much the talent was worth. It all depends on the type of material that the talent was measuring. It could have been gold, it could have been silver, it could have been copper. And based upon the amount of gold, silver, or copper, the talent was worth X amount of dollars. But the point here is that this measurement, what the master has given, is very worth, it is very precious and is very worthy. Now, in fact, our understanding of the word talent today in English comes from this parable. Today, when we use the word talent, we mean a skill or something that someone was born with. When we talk about a singer, we say that person is very talented. They have, they have a natural propensity or a natural gift to sing. And our word talent actually comes from the Greek understanding of talent within this parable. Because the idea is you have received what you did not earn for yourself. It is a gift to you. So the master comes and he gives a talent. He gives to some, one of them five, another one two, and another one one. If there is ever a, an example in scripture that God does not give to everyone an equal amount of things, it is this. He does not give to everyone five talents. He does not give to everyone two. Some get one. But the point is not how much God gives you, but what you do with it. So also, he who had the two, it says here, excuse me, in verse 16, he who had received the five talents went at once and traded with them, and he made five talents more. So also he who had the two talents made two talents more. That word at once means they were not apathetic about what their master told them to do. They immediately made God's work their prerogative. But then comes this word, but. But he who had received the one talent went and dug in the ground and hid his master's money. Now after a long time, the master of those servants came and settled accounts with them. That long time is indefinite. We don't know when the master is going to return, but when he does, he will be here to settle accounts. And here's how that conversation is going to go. What have you done with what I gave you. Long time 
The time when we don't expect him, he comes. He who had received five talents came forward, bringing five talents more, saying, Master, you delivered to me five talents. Here I have made five talents more. His master said to him, Well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over a little. I will set you over much. Enter into the joy of your master. So the master has so much that he can call five talents little when it wasn't little. And he says, if you've been responsible over this little time of your life, this time between now when you came to know Christ as your Savior and the time at at which the master returns to have a reckoning of how you've used this little time, this insignificant time, for us, we see it as all of our life. It's the only thing that matters. And for God, from 30,000 feet above, he looks down and he says, this is small. This life is small. It is is incomparable with eternity. But you were faithful over what I gave you in this life. Now enter into my joy. Likewise, the other servant came and said to him, it says here, he who had two talents came forward saying, Master, you delivered to me two talents. Here I have made two talents more. His master said to him, well done and good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over a little. I will set you over much. Enter into the joy of your master. He receives the same blessing and approval for what he did with what he was given. Note that he does not have to produce ten talents. He only has to do and be faithful with what he's been given. Sometimes I ask people, are you serving in the church? And their first response is, well, I don't know how to teach. What does that have to do with anything? The point of our videos is to show you that service comes in many different shapes and forms. Different shapes and sizes. It comes in all types of ways. It comes to us when we need it. I think about how beautiful our our Wednesday night dinners have been. Last week it was our Wednesday night breakfast because we had breakfast for dinner. Thank you for sharing that blessing with us, Martinez is. It was wonderful. You will only be judged on what you had and how you used it. Some get five, some get two. Well, someone says here, yeah, but I only have one. He also who had received the one talent came forward saying, Master, I knew you to be a hard man, reaping where you did not sow and gathering where you scattered no seed. The word there that he uses, hard, is scleros, and it means you were like, you were like bitter. You were angry. He's almost saying of God, I knew you were going to be tough, incriminating God himself. And when he says, I knew you to be a hard man, I was afraid. I knew that you reaped where you didn't sow, gathering where you scattered no seed. In other words, every man there who was given the talent knew that God was going to come back and ask, what have you done with what I've given you? Everyone knows. Believer, you know. 
when you are not serving God, you know that this is not pleasing to him. He says, I was afraid. I went and I hid your talent in the ground. The word there, hid, is crypto. I thought about the word crypt, where you keep a dead body. You don't see the bones, and it's only there as a memoriam of what once was. Gone. Useless. He says, I hid it. But his master answered him this way, you wicked and slothful servant, you knew that I reap where I have not sown and gather where I scattered no seed. He does not mention that he was hard as the man so thought he was. I thought so much about how many times people say to me, I could never worship a God who was so judgmental and he's so wrathful and they always depict God as this big guy in the sky who's going to judge them, fire and brimstone, devoid of all love, and they say, I could never worship a God like that. And my response is always this. You're telling me that you think that God is going to judge you harshly for disobeying him and you're not going to follow him and obey him? You're telling me that you think God is a tough guy and he is going to judge you and your response to that is, I will continue to live this way even though I know I'm going to get my comeuppance? That is illogical. And God says, even though you don't understand who I am, why would you behave this way? Certainly the master's going to be more angry if he returns and sees that the one servant has not yielded a return on investment. You knew that I reap where I have not sown and gather where I scattered no seed. He expects us to do with what he has given. Then you ought to have invested my money with the bankers and at my coming I should have received what was my own with interest. He says to him, even, even if you weren't willing to go out and do it yourself, you could have given it to somebody else who could have done something with it. Even if you weren't going to do it, go to someone who's willing to take what you have and use it for the kingdom. You may not be willing to go overseas and be a foreign missionary. You may not want to leave your life here and do that. But you can pray for them. That is the very least you can do. You can give of your money to them to support them. It is the very least you can do. He says, you ought to have done the least. So take the talent from him and give it to him who has the ten talents. For to everyone who has will more be given and he will have an abundance. But from the one who has not, even what he has will be taken away and cast 
the worthless servant into outer darkness in that place where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Say what you want about the parable, but at the very least, God takes it very seriously when we waste what he has given to us. Well, this is what God's word has told us. Well, then what now? I want to give you four things this morning that you can do immediately to answer God's call to use what God has given to you for his kingdom and for his glory. The first thing I want us to do as a church is this. I want us to recognize that everything we have, we owe to God. Everything that you have, you owe to God. The person was given five talents, okay? So maybe you are a wealthy, wealthy person. Or maybe you are just overflowing with charisma and musical talent and preaching and teaching talent. Or you've been given multiple cars. Don't feel guilty about it. Unless you take all of those things and consume them for yourself. There is nothing wrong with having much. Note that God does not condemn the man who has five talents, but says, I gave them to you. I gave you every single thing you have. At the end of this sermon series, I want us to say, we understand at least this much. There is no more this idea of 10% to God, 90% to me. It is 100% belongs to God. What are you doing with it? Recognize that everything you have, you owe to God. In our church confession, the one we subscribe to here as a church, that is the Baptist Faith and Message 2000, Article 13 on stewardship says this, God is the source of all blessings, both in this life and in the next, temporal and spiritual. All that we have and are, we owe to Him. Christians have a spiritual debtorship to the whole world, a holy trusteeship in the gospel. That means they are to care for the gospel, a binding stewardship in their possessions. They are under obligation to serve him with their time, their talents, and material possessions and should recognize all these have been entrusted to them to use for the glory of God and for helping others. According to the scriptures, Christians should contribute of their means cheerfully, regularly, systematically, proportionately, and liberally for the advancement of the Redeemer's cause on earth. Scripture says God loves a cheerful giver. But why does God love a cheerful giver? Wouldn't he just do well if we just gave? I mean, at the end of the day, God wants us to just give our money, right? Remember that story where Jesus, a man brought to him and said, should we pay our taxes? And Jesus said, Send me that, give me that coin. He said, see this coin right here? Whose face is on it? And the person says, well, that's Caesar's. 
And Jesus says, then give it back to Caesar. See his face on it? Give it back to him. George Washington is on the dollar bill. Give it back to George Washington. But give to God what belongs to God. What Jesus doesn't say, but what he means there is, whose image is on you? God is not cheap. He doesn't want your money. He wants you. All of you. All of you. Every last piece of you. And so when it says means giving cheerfully, it means I want you to give because you love me. I don't want you to give to appease me. I'm not some God that you make sacrifices to to appease. I made a sacrifice on behalf of you. I did what you couldn't do in the flesh. I did in my son. I've appeased my wrath, says God. Give back to him because you know and you understand and have experienced what the blessing of God's son is for you. Give regularly, systematically, proportionately. We don't ask that people give in a burdensome way, but we ask that people give of their time, talents, and material possessions according to what they can give. Begin by asking, what am I not doing? And how can I do a better job with what God is giving me? Number two, begin using your talents in the church. Begin using your talents in the church. Charles Spurgeon says this. He says, some Christians say to me, well, I give myself to the Lord, but I do not intend to give myself to any church. There is a brick, he says. What is a brick made for? To help to build a house with. It is of no use for that brick to tell you that it is just as good a brick while it is kicking about on the ground as it would be in the house. It is a good-for-nothing brick until it is built into the wall. It is no good. So you Rolling Stone Christians, says Spurgeon, I do not believe that you are answering your purpose. You are living contrary to the life which Christ would have you live, and you are much to blame for the injury you do. Christians, God has saved you to be a brick in the one building, which is his church. I hear people tell me this all the time. I, I, at the very least of my evangelism, I try to invite people to church. Here's my card. Just come to church. And one of the, the most common responses I get is, you know, I, I, I watch online. You know, I, I, do a little, uh, my, I do a little Bible study here and there. He's a brick. Flopping around on the ground away from the building. God expects his people to be together and as one body united in service for him. If you don't believe me, read through 1 Corinthians 12. 
If you don't believe me, read what the early church did when they had come to the knowledge of Christ. Acts chapter 2. Christian, listen to me very, listen to me right now. Get somewhere. Commit there. Stay there till you die. Stop treating church like the club that you hop from one to another. The church is not here for you. You are here for the church. The brick doesn't look at the building and say, what are you going to do for me? What are you going to do for me, building? The building looks at the brick and says, what are you going to do for me? Without you, I'm weaker. Christian, stop hopping from church to church. Get somewhere. Serve there. Make a commitment. My brother used to say when he was teaching me how to drive, he would say to me when I get to a yellow light, dude, either go or stay. Chocolate or vanilla. It's chocolate or vanilla. Either go or stop, but, but stop with the indecisiveness. We're cats. Is there anything worse in the world than a cat? Never hear people allergic to dogs. Hear people allergic to cats. Don't tell me you're allergic to dogs. I don't believe it. We have this amazing dog. He just comes up and he gets in the, he gets in the chair and he just, he's so happy. Cats are so moot. Steph has this, this cat in her house. Her parents have this cat. It is, I, I never see the cat. He comes out and he's like, mm, what are we going to have for dinner tonight? And he just throws that tail around. I don't like that. Not what I want. I'm like, why do you even own this pet? You can't even pet it. It scratch you. It's cranky all the time. That's how we are. I didn't like the message today. I didn't like the songs. We just fan our tail judgmentally at everybody. I'm not coming back to church anymore. That's how we are. We're moody, cranky cats. I didn't get what I wanted today. Did you give? Did you give? I agree with Spurgeon here. Begin using your talents in the church. And remember, talents here does not mean just what your skills are. You know what? If you can't play the piano, or you can play the piano, and, and we only got one of them, you can serve in other ways. Last Friday, we had a fish fry. You could have boxed fish. You could have just bought the fish. That would have been enough. Really, it would have. Number three, look for opportunities to serve in your church. So we want to recognize that everything we have belongs to God. We have to agree on that. You realize that until you agree on that, we can't go forward with anything else. Until you leave here today and you understand that everything you have belongs to God, we cannot go further with the other steps. So number two was begin to use your talents for the church. And number three, look for opportunities to serve. Become a fat church member. Fat. You know, everything today is lowering your fat. I want you all to be fat church members. See, I'm doing a good job of that right now. 
Honey, you think I'm doing this because I don't have self-control? It's for God. <laughs> Fat. I'm borrowing an acrostic that Tim Challies used, but I'm, I'm switching it up just a little bit. Fat stands for flexible, flexible, available, and trainable. I was sitting here thinking about what three things, when we plan our, our church and our ministry, what three things do we want from our, from our people? The first thing we want is flexibility. Now, flexibility doesn't seem like a big deal at first, but in a fallen world where things almost never go according to plan, flexibility is a virtue. The flexible church member is a blessing to her church. Her church trusts her to always have a spirit of grace, even when change is required to meet the demands of new circumstances. A flexible church member is someone who says, okay, it didn't go the way we expected it to. Fine. What do we do now? Be a problem solver. Look for the solution with us. We understand that not everything's going to always go right. We understand that things are going to sometimes throw, life's going to throw a curveball at us. Be flexible. If you can be a flexible church member, you are already using what God has given you for his glory. So many places in scripture it says, do everything without grumbling. Be flexible. Number two, be available. An available church member is one who is willing to serve in the church's various ministries as needed. This person is available to serve no matter if what they are doing happens to make the best use of their talents and time. They're going to serve. If you're available, you are here, we can trust that you'll be here, and you're going to serve no matter what. Listen to me. No one likes taking care of little babies. I look at my own babies like, eh. Maybe if I act like I'm asleep, Steph will take care of it. I don't ever say that. I always get up and do it. Actually, no, I don't. <laughs> but we need it, right? Because the baby doesn't get changed without you. Be available. And also be trainable. A trainable church member is one who does not force his or her own way on the church. The trainable person is someone who is quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry. The trainable person submits to his leaders as his leaders seek to teach, rebuke, correct, and train them according to the inspired word of God. Let me read that one more time because this is a biggie. The trainable person submits to his leaders as his leaders seek to teach, rebuke, correct, and train them according to the inspired word of God. I give you the right to disobey where we're disobeying Scripture. I give you the right to follow God rather than men. I give you that right. But you're going to have to show us where we're not following Scripture. Your leaders sit in there time and time again with the Bible open asking the question, is this what Scripture would have us do? 
trainable people submit to the word of God as it is taught by their leaders. Lastly, don't ask what your church can do for you. Ask what you can do for your church. You remember that saying in the inaugural speech of John F. Kennedy. I wanted to read this from Tom Rainer. He is a leader of Lifeway Fellowship, which is the Southern Baptist Publishing, and uh, they're basically the Southern Baptist equivalent of Barnes & Noble. Here's what he says. I get to hear from a lot of leaders. Most of them are incredibly gracious. Most of them are kind, even when they offer constructive criticism. But one of the more frequent types of comments or questions that comes from those who are in churches is that, uh, like those that we've already heard, is that their people are self-serving rather than Christ-serving. People are argumentative. They like to get their way. They treat the church like a country club, saying to them and to their leaders, I've paid my dues, so serve me. The question to me, he continues, is phrased something like this. How can I be a healthy serving church member in a church where the members are overall inwardly focused on themselves? My response is twofold. First, there are times when we should leave a church. As a rule, I am not a fan of church hopping, says Rayner. Most church hopping takes place when a person is not getting his or her way in the church. In other words, the motive to leave is self-serving instead of serving. If our motive is to be in a place where you can joyously serve, maybe a move is in order. But the second response is preferable. Stay where you are and become an example of a, ser of a serving Christian, he says. I am convinced that if the church gets this right... This church gets this right. We will make an impact and an imprint in this community. If we will say, come hell or high water, this is where I'm going to serve, this church will make an impact. The general spirit of selfishness that pervades the church is the exact opposite of what God expects from his people. Someone came up to me last week and said, oh, thank you for turning your radio on. I, I love that song. I said, really? I said, I can't stand that song. He said, oh, but you look like you enjoyed singing it. I said, I really did. Because you enjoyed it. I promise you, I don't enjoy that song. But you enjoy it. Seeing you sing and seeing you happy and seeing your joy, that matters to me. Christian, I ask you the same thing. Maybe that song that we sang this morning you didn't like, but did your sister or brother next to you enjoy it? Is that enough? Is their joy enough? Is their happiness enough? Was it not our God who said it is better to give than it is to receive? Did not the Holy Spirit himself inspire Paul to write, 
Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Church, don't ask what your church can do for you. Ask what you can do for your church. I can't tell you the particulars, but I have recently had that attitude about something in my life. I have repented of my sin to be a critic, and I have said I will help where needed. And let me tell you, it has been one of the greatest blessings of my life. I promise you that. I promise you that. I have decided to go to where I need to go and say, how can you use me? I will be used by you, whatever you want. I'm here for you. Healing. Rest in knowing that I'm obeying God. Trust me when I tell you, when you say to God, here are my hands, here are my feet, here is my wallet, let it be yours, God. That is the richest you will ever be. I promise you. Church, how are you using your talents for God? Talents are not just your skills. It is what God has given you. Whatever God has given you belongs to Him and is to be used for His glory. Tonight we're going to have prayer night as a church. One of the first steps to becoming a person who uses their time and talents for God is to be here with us tonight to pray. The church that prays together stays together. If I can be cliche for a moment. It is a reward. Stop scheduling church around your life. Schedule your life around the body of Christ. Let's pray. Father, this is not easy because we have to die to ourselves. But we look at what your word tells us and it tells us that you have given us a talent, a portion. Some of us have much, Lord God. Some of us are very wealthy. Some of us are gifted administrators. We're gifted speakers. Some of us are retired and have plenty of time. Some of us, Lord God, are encouragers. Some of us are very good with our words and can be used to evangelize. Lord God, whatever it is that we have, our time is yours. Our talents, our portion, our home, our car, our children, our finances, our eyes, our ears, our thoughts, they all belong to you. God, help us to care about giving back to you what already belongs to you. Lord, your word was stern this morning and reminds us that you will return 
and settle accounts. Lord, let us serve in the joy of knowing we're giving ourselves to you rather than in the fear that you are going to return and find us wasting what you've given us. Lord, we thank you for this church. Northwest Baptist Church can be every person's church who's in here this morning. Lord, they can make it their church. They can agree to be a member of this body, to give of themselves so that Northwest Baptist Church might be a light in the dark, dark city of Miami. There may be churches that are easier to be a part of, closer to our home, but what neighborhood needs this church more than this one? Lord, just this past Friday, two young men were gunned down, not more than several blocks from this very church. Lord, don't let us run to comfort. Let us stay here and be a light for your kingdom. Thank you for the opportunity to serve God. Convict us to give of our talents to you. Bless the word. Amen.